Luke Daniels, Corwell Commercial Capital. Thank you for joining the program here today. We're going to talk about a few things impacting the oil and gas industry. First of all, not to which is the election, the upcoming election. We just had our uh, director's cut up here in the Bakken last week, and Lynn Helms, who's a, a government worker, he was even starting to speculate on the election. And, you know, they're not supposed to be doing that type of stuff. So that tells me that it's becoming more and more of an issue every single day as we get closer to November. So, uh, Mr. Luke Daniels, how are you doing today? Good, good. It's a good day to be here. Let's talk a little bit about the upcoming election, what it means for oil and gas. Yeah, so you know, as as what happens every four years, uh, our market tends to get a little scary around the presidential election time, and you know everybody kind of shuts down and kind of starts to internalize things. the uh, The funny thing is, is uh, whenever we have a presidential election, it doesn't necessarily have to impact the oil and gas field the way we think it does. Um, the government doesn't actually have a, a, a true national energy policy. Uh, meaning that basically they they don't they don't cover each individual state's recognition of each individual of the leases, and most leases that as long as it's not on federal land, the federal government doesn't have much to do with. Uh, that being said, you know we've heard all this ban on fracking, things of that that sorts, and you know that markets tend to to uh, to to recognize that, but. Um, for one, the presidential uh, president doesn't have that kind of power to outright create a ban. Um, Congress has some sort of ability to try and start banning things, but mostly, when you talk about uh, elections in the um, in the near near term, we need to talk about just federal lands. Federal lands are about the only time that could, that become an issue for um, election elections because the government has, the federal government has the right to basically shut down operations of federal land. But when it comes to personal, personally owned lands, personally owned mineral rights, the only real entity that has the ability to shut that down is the states. So in general, when you talk about the upcoming election, there's probably, there's not as much fear as, as people like to think. And what it actually does is it gives um, some individuals or operators an opportunity to actually expand a bit and uh, try and expand outside of maybe some federal lands and, and procure some uh, basically either state lands, uh, some of the university lands or, or good good pieces of property to pick up. Um, but, uh, but ultimately, we operate the free market here in the United States, so it's a bit different than, uh, well, than any other actual uh, country in the world is the United States government does not actually own in the mineral rights except for on on the federal lands. Uh, every other state in the world has the ability to regulate all the production, um, all the production and the, uh, the, the mineral rights uh, royalties and things of that nature. But the beautiful thing about our country is we didn't do that. So what that gives us the ability to do is continue operations even in uh, situations like an election and not have to worry too much about it. Uh, I know there's some people that might disagree with me, but all in all, you know, we've, we've gone through many different types of presidencies and, and none of them have outlawed oil and gas. What do you make of that? Um, 
the overhaul they're trying to make on oil and gas, either it's from the climate activism side or Joe Biden's platform. It um, the, the thing that's kind of disturbed me, I guess, is just the fact how it's a public public discussion more than anything, as opposed to just kind of, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I look at the crash course and I think it's a little bit out of hand. It would just with the reality of things, you know, just because our whole infrastructure is set up for the current lifestyle and it would take probably 25 to 50 years to, you know, redo the plumbing and hypodermic needles and siding and just the way we do life, I think, is 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 going to take a little bit more than a crash course that we're on. So I take a look at that and I understand the uncertainty of the marketplace. I understand the federal side of things. It's interesting, actually, that it seems like lately the only thing that's getting new leases is, is federal land. Uh, talk to me about some places that are willing to even invest these days. Cause you know, like I said, there's a lot of uncertainty out there, but there are some people willing to invest. Right. Uh, there definitely are, um, particularly in, uh, some that's definitely in conventional plays and, and, and unconventional plays. The, the thing about that, what happened in 2014 and 15 is, is mostly a lot of PE firms have stopped investing in what's called PUDs, you know, proven undeveloped. The only way they will market something or, or pay for something is basically 80% of the current production value and, and nothing else is considered worthy. Uh, so that, that wasn't just the PE firms that became the banks, loan institutions, individual investors that are outside the oil and gas field uh, that just wanted to take a risk on or high risk on some of their uh, on some of their wealth that they wanted to diversify. And so what that did is that really put a halt on investments into oil and gas. What I've what I've come in and done is I've come in and I've just had a lot of discussions with a lot of these groups that are used to oil and gas, understand the markets. And what we discuss is, well, we can talk about the decline curves in some of these more unconventional plays. We understand the rock a lot better. We know what it we know what it is going to do with a pretty high degree of accuracy in these developed areas. So we have investors that are willing to say, okay, well, I'll put in, you know, 20% the value, 30% the value, whatever the case. And we can add in there the CapEx into that. And so that's that's different than kind of what most most places are doing because when you start talking about purchase value and then a capex well the scary part becomes around the capex because then you then you really are everybody feels uncertain but with us understanding this raw i've had a lot of investors that are that are willing to do this inside of the oil and gas field um you know in particular with some of the loans that we've instituted we can do some 80 20 uh 80 20 degree loans and really include in there the puds and then the capex to um, to drill and drill and complete those wells on the new lands and so um, and then back to your question about kind of the climate change you know the the only type of when Congress comes in and they and they start making laws against you know, oil and gas it's really not against oil and gas it's just on the HSC point of view so health safety and environment and so they make environmental regulations. But truth be told, everybody's far ahead of actually the regulations that they implement. 
So mostly it's just talking points for a lot of these politicians. And, um, but, you know, so I think that a lot of investors that I work with understand where we're going. And so we discuss, we discuss things like carbon, um, carbon catching technology and, and how to institute um, those types of measures into, into the play. And then we come in and we start talking about um, how to succeed on pad without having to flare. So you have Bitcoin mining where uh, individuals are, or, or companies are putting out uh, large generators in, in order to cool these massive computer, supercomputer systems that are mining Bitcoin and use the uh, flared gas to do so. And so I work with um, operators or up and coming operators that are that are willing to implement these things for success and, and trying to really utilize new technology and new sources of funding in order to keep down the operating expense. And one of those operating expenses is always the debt debt on the loan or the or the the interest rate on the loan. And so with us keeping interest rates down, us un- helping the investors to understand what it's going to take to be successful, that there may not be a cash flow for year one and two or three. And in order to keep the uh, keep operations going within the operator, in order to make that cash flow on year three, we have to stick with the program, stick with the planned uh, BNC program and things of that nature. So there's really a lot of investors out there that are willing to do this. You just have to go find them, and that's what we've done. We've gone and found these guys. I was joking with somebody about a year ago. It's really difficult to make it in the restaurant business unless you're a franchise. <laughs> yeah, right now. And <laughs> and now it's even more true, you know, because in quite quite honestly, you know, there's only so many curbsides and Uber Eats a restaurant can you know deliver and compete with McDonald's and Arby's and all the other fast food places, but uh, transition that kind of that mindset, that, that thesis, that comparison to oil and gas. If somebody were to have a new asset, how, how does that work in today's day and age with, you know, is it competitive? Is it more competitive? Is there advantages to getting in now? Disadvantages? Do you know what I mean? Because t- timing is so important. Right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, you know, when, with the news, you could take this not just in oil and gas, but you could take this into, like you were saying, restaurants. What is happening with everything now is you're seeing larger corporations, larger entities not able to make it because they existed on such really tight margins. So with those tight margins, oil drops. Oil drops a few dollars down to, let's just say, 40, from 50 to 40. Well, they're no longer profitable. Well, if it drops from 50 to negative, all of a sudden that's it, it's you're, you can't you can't get away from that. You're going to spend the next six years of production just trying to make up for two months of, of of bad numbers. So when you when you operate on those type margins, you see things like like take it outside of oil and gas. Pier one, pier one's going out of business, right? Thin margins. Well, inside the oil and gas, every all the large corporations that operate on thin margins are going out of business. And so what you're going to see is this up, up outcrop of just smaller entities around the entire nation where you, know, you get a group of, uh, of, of people together that understand oil and gas, understand how to, you know, to, to develop the rock and to, to, 
really produce out of the reservoir in such a way with newer technologies, you're going to see smaller entities like that to really come in and buy this up. And one of the good things is when you buy something out of bankruptcy, you get rid of and exit all those terrible contracts that were put into place back prior to 15, where everybody thought oil was going to be at a hundred plus dollars a barrel forever. Um, you know, these younger guys are coming in. They understand the decline curves a lot better within the rock geologists uh, and rev reservoir engineers are understanding the reservoir flow a lot better. So you can actually have accurate predictions of what your cash flow is going to be from each, each well drill. Um, and then you can institute lower rates on, uh, on the debt, especially with LIBOR rates as low as they are. Um, sticking to a drilling, uh, drilling complete schedule, uh, getting lower drilling complete costs. Um, there's a way to do this because one of the things that's happened is all the service companies bought all their equipment, uh, did everything at a premium price, um, especially some of the guys that are still lagging from 2014 when they bought five wireline trucks. About as expensive as you could buy them, you know, things like that. They, you know, their their overhead is so high that they can't afford to lower their costs. Well, uh, we'll get into that uh, later on how to be successful as a service company. But you know, when you can lower the cost of operating expense just on service equipment, you know, you really start to decrease your costs all around the board. Um, you know, just you learn how to, like we said. Learn how to make money outside of the normal operations. Bitcoin mining, carbon catching technology for tax breaks. You can use that same technology to catch, to um, to, uh, to to re-inject the carbon into some depleted reservoirs. And so you can actually like have a power company. Some of the up northeast, you still have coal power plants that have huge carbon emissions. They can trap that carbon. You can actually make a profit from from um, make a profit from them or uh, they want to get rid of it. You've got a, you've got a way to get rid of it. It's just like a SWD, same kind of concept. Um, <clears throat> the issue has been that no one has been able to fund these projects on the traditional side. Like we talked about, not willing to look beyond the past. Nobody was doing that. We've come in and we've got it's, um, individuals uh, that are willing to look into the future. Look at PUDs. Um, you know, we're no longer looking at 30% errors on reservoir reports. We're looking at low percentage errors on reserve reports. Um, and all this rock has been developed. You know, <laughs> you, you talk about well spacing in the Eagle Fruit. We screwed all that up back in 2011 and 12, and now we really understand how to well space um, in the Eagle Fruit. So we have high degrees of certainty, and, you know, we know what we're going to produce, so we know what we're going to make, so we can budget for each individual thing. And, the, the guys that we have in our back, they're willing to do this, bring the project in, understand it, and we'll move forward on the funding of it and a, and a development plan. So, I mean, it's it's really coming down to you bring 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 the plan together, and the plan is accurate, and we'll move forward on the funding. A lot of these guys that are getting laid off are starting new service companies. Uh, a lot of people that are uh, either not laid off or, you know, partnering up and uh, joining other service companies, that sort of thing. Talk to me about, you mentioned earlier about, we'll talk a little bit about how to succeed as a service company. And that got me thinking, there's a lot of people out there right now 
thinking about starting service companies or starting ones because just the way the market conditions are. And then there's other ones that are absorbing people up right now. So talk to me about that, uh, kind of that niche market in the sector. Right. So one of the great things about service companies is you don't get anything done at the wellhead without the service company. Um, but the problem has been in the past is, like I said, everything gets bought at a premium. Um, and you're, and everybody rushes so fast to get, to get this equipment out because you have, you know, let's take Chesapeake, for example, because that's one of my favorite examples is Chesapeake comes to you and says, I need five wireline trucks tomorrow. Okay. Where am I going to get them? How am I going to pay for them? Well, the seller who's selling the, the, um, seller of the wireline trucks knows this. They know that you're in need of this. So yeah, you're buying it at a premium. Okay. The loan institution's like, okay, well, we're going to rush order this thing. Okay. Well, here's a, here's a 15, 16% interest balloon payment for you. You know, <laughs> you know, you, you end up in these situations where it's just like you take it because you're promised this work. All right. Everything's running great. Six months later, everything falls out. Zero, you have zero trucks. Everywhere. That's how it's kind of worked in the past. Well, Right now, if you take advantage of the situ- situation that we have where you have a flood of frack pumps, flood of wireline, drilling bits, I mean, you name it, there's a flood of this, and, and you've got now this oversupply and under demand. Now is a good time to actually look at how do I purchase those? Well, get rid of those high interest balloon, short term balloon payments. Um, you can come in with longer term loans. We have long term loans for equipment in the oil field. We have lease possibilities for equipment. Get these longer term loans, lower the payment, lower your overhead. There are guys out there ready to go to work, like you said. So it's not even about decreasing manpower. It's spreading manpower out over instead of these large Halliburton slumber J size companies. Now we just go and we start having the smaller companies that are you know, not thousands of employees large, tens of thousands of employees large. We go down to the just hundreds of people large, down to even in the teens where you can operate really well and efficiently, low overhead, keep your debt down or keep your debt interest rates down and acquire the, acquire the, uh, the equipment at low cost. And then not only that, you've got, you've got the guys guys aren't hard to find now you've reduced overhead you don't have these massive facilities you you come in and now you can actually compete at a lower rate than what your Halliburton slumberjays are, are, are trying to you know are trying to operate at or trying to charge because they can't even succeed at that I mean have you seen the Halliburton facility in Houston the thing is I don't know what that must cost per month but imagine without all that overhead I don't even recall. I think Halliburton is trying to get rid of a hundred and something frack pumps just here in Texas. So, you know, the, the equipment's out there, the turn, the, the loans are out there. We've got the loans for the equipment that suit the business model and revenue. You have, we even have the possibility of an already operating system to, to come in with, with factoring possibilities. So, you know, factoring is not always seen as a, as a giant, plus or, you know, a giant plus, but it can be because what you end up with is you end up with free credit checks. We got low, I've got, you know, several institutions that have low rates, 
less than 2% on your factoring possibilities. Uh, and so you end up with the ability to grow at a faster rate. Maybe factoring works for a while, and then you move into uh, an expansion loan. You know, there's, there's so many opportunities for people out there that are trying to get a service company going. It's just, how do I find the funding? And I've got, we've got the funding for sure. Well, how can people find the funding? Well, you can go to our website. We're corwellcommercialcapital.com. You can email me directly. It's ldaniels at corwellcommercialcapital.com. Feel free to check us out. We're on Facebook and LinkedIn. Send us a message. Let us, let us know how we can help. We'll talk about the business model. We, Listen, a conversation's free, you know. So under just having a conversation to know which way to go and which way would be better for the business is um, is always available. 